Hello. Welcome to the Myths and History of Greece and Rome. Chapter 101. The Pope and the Hun. It was the Eastern Empire that first encountered the Huns. It was the Eastern Empire that was first threatened by the Huns. And it was the Eastern Empire that paid the Huns to stay away. It's strange, then, that the Huns had so much to do with the fall of the Empire in the West. The Eastern Empire had been paying the Huns an annual tribute to prevent them from attacking. By 443, the tribute was up to £2,100 of gold each year. Since 434, the Huns had been led by a pair of brothers. One of these was called Blader, and nobody these days has ever heard of him. The other brother has a name that everyone recognises. He is the epitome of the ultimate barbarian. Strong, fearless, cruel and utterly without any culture or manners. This man is known to history as Attila the Hun. In 445, Attila had had enough of joint rule with his brother, so he killed him. Yep, he killed his own brother and became the sole leader of the massive Hunnic Empire, which ruled most of Central Europe and much of Western Asia. Attila ruled with a rod of iron. If you were loyal and useful, you were rewarded. If you were disloyal, you were punished. If Attila made a treaty with people outside his empire, he would demand that any Hun who escaped to the enemy camp was returned. These people were savagely dealt with. In 447, Constantinople was hit by a terrible plague. The previous harvest had been bad and the population was weak. Attila decided that this was his chance and launched an attack against the Roman army. Attila won the battle and scorched through the countryside, taking city after city until he arrived at the walls of the capital. The Praetorian prefect managed to get the two rival circus groups, the Blues and the Greens, to work together and repair the walls, and Attila's forces were unable to take the city. Instead, they ran round the countryside, looting and burning, wherever they felt like looting and burning. Theodosius II was forced to increase the payment even more to keep the Huns away. He also granted them some Roman territory south of the Danube to settle in. The Romans continually had to send envoys to Attila, bringing back to him people who had deserted the Hunnic leader. The Roman envoys were always treated well, given huge feasts. The guests were served a luxurious meal on a silver plate, but Attila just ate meat from a wooden plate. The guests were given gold and silver goblets of wine, but Attila drank from a cup made of wood. Attila also dressed in just the same way as the other Huns, except, as one Roman noted, his clothes were clean. Attila the Hun continued to bleed the Eastern Empire dry of wealth, and it looked like this would continue until there was no gold left at all. But then something happened that changed the course of history forever. On the 28th of July, 450, Theodosius II fell from his horse and died. He was 49 years old and had been Emperor of the East for 42 of them, he was the longest reigning emperor that the empire had known, but he had done precious little during his long reign. The emperor's sister, Pulcheria, had been the power behind the emperor for most of his time on the throne, and now took it upon herself to make sure the empire continued to have an emperor. Soon after her brother's death, she married a Thracian ex-soldier called Marcion, and had him declared Augustus. She claimed that Theodosius had named Marcion as his successor on his deathbed, but this is almost certainly a big fat lie. In the West, our friend Valentinian III was still proving to be completely useless. He was quite strong physically and enjoyed archery and hunting, but he had no interest in governing his people. He was completely reliant on his magister militum. Flavius Aetius had been in command of the armies of the West since the 430s. 
He'd been unable to prevent the Vandals taking Africa, but he'd been pretty successful in defending Gaul against the attacks from the various German barbarians. Apart from the Visigothic Kingdom of Toulouse, the Roman forces were still pretty much in command of most of Gaul and were keeping the Germans at bay. Once Aetius is gone, there will be no more resolute defence and the Empire will fall, but Aetius managed to prevent it from happening for nearly 20 years. He campaigned against the Burgundians, the Suevi, the Franks, the Alamanni and the Goths, and was pretty much successful against all of them. Alongside Aetius fought the Magister Militum of Gaul, one Marcius, Massilius, Flavius, Eparchius, Avitus, who we will meet in the next chapter. It seems that Aetius and Attila knew each other. Aetius had once been a hostage to the Huns, and may have spent times in the company of the Hunnish leader. It's known that Aetius supplied Attila with secretaries to help his written communication in Latin. He even persuaded Attila to help him fight the Visigoths, and may have managed to remain on good terms with him, except for one very strange event. Now, Valentinian had a sister. Honoria was also the daughter of Constantius III and Galla Presidia, and the granddaughter of Honorius, and she was quite a headstrong young woman. She had been forced to become engaged to a Roman senator by the emperor, and was not happy about it. No, young Honoria was in fact very, very unhappy about it, and she tried to find a way out. No matter how she begged and pleaded with Valentinian and Galla, they would not change their minds. She must get married, and she must marry the person they had chosen. Their minds were made up. Honoria understandably became very desperate, and found a very desperate solution. She wrote to the most frightening barbarian leader around, and asked him to rescue her, and included with her letter her engagement ring. Now, there are many stories, some legends and some real, about ladies asking knights in shining armour to rescue them from bad situations. This was a bit different. The most important difference was that Honoria didn't ask for the help of a knight in shining armour, she asked for the help of a violent barbarian king in sewn-together mouse skins. Attila the Hun was not a brave chivalrous knight. He may have been brave, but he was an enemy of Rome, and a very nasty scary one at that. Attila read the letter. Attila looked at the engagement ring. Attila let a big gleaming smile light up his brutish barbarian face. This, he thought, was better than he could have hoped for. The sister of the Emperor of Rome was offering to be his wife. Yep, Attila decided that Honoria didn't want just to be rescued from a marriage that she didn't want, she wanted to be married to him. He also decided that it meant that half of the Western Roman Empire now belonged to him. Valentinian was utterly furious. He began to prepare to execute his sister, but his mother persuaded him not to. Instead he wrote to Attila, telling him it was all a big mistake, just a misunderstanding. He said that Honoria would be punished and there was definitely no marriage about to happen. Attila had been campaigning in Gaul, sacking city after city, including Maximian's old capital of Trier. In 451, though, when he received Valentinian's letter, he changed his mind. He was coming to get his new wife-to-be, whether the emperor liked it or not. He had plenty of other wives, but an imperial wife was better than a normal wife, and an imperial wife was what the Hun was going to have. He made his plans to invade Italy. Before he could attack he was met by a mixed Roman and Visigothic force led by Aetius. The two armies fought a huge, bitter and bloody battle called the Battle of the Catalonian Plains. Most historians think Attila lost the battle, but he didn't lose too many of his troops and the Hunnic army lived to fight another day. And fight another day, they most certainly did. In 452, 
Attila and the full forces of the Hunnish army invaded the Roman home province. They completely destroyed the ancient city of Aquileia and the people fled. They fled to the coast and set up a new city on the lagoons in the northeastern coast of Italy. This is the foundation of the city of Venice, once one of the most important cities in Europe and now a beautiful place visited by millions of people every year. Attila's army sacked a whole load of other cities in Italy and began to march on Rome. In the first four centuries AD, foreigners attacking Rome would have been unthinkable, but Alaric had shown what could happen. Alaric and the Visigoths had sacked the Eternal City in 410, and now the people were afraid it could happen again. Forty years had passed since that sack, but the city still didn't feel safe. Attila's forces advanced, and the people of Rome became more and more frightened. It has to be remembered that the attacks of the Huns were not like those of the Goths or the Vandals. These tribes were focused on finding a new homeland within the Empire's territory. They had an end game. Attila had no such ultimate aim. His aim was not territorial expansion, but the acquisition of vast quantities of treasure. His whole rule relied upon him lavishly rewarding his supporters, and for this he needed to carry out successful raids on rich Roman cities, including Rome itself. Soon, very soon, the army of the Huns appeared at the gates of Rome. Nothing could stop them now. They were going to sack the city and destroy it, killing hundreds or maybe thousands of people. The emperor was safe in Ravenna and wasn't giving a thought to rescuing the ancient capital. Aetius was still fighting the barbarians in Gaul and had no way of getting back in time to rescue the ancient capital. Marcion was glad the Huns were not attacking Constantinople and had no intention of rescuing the ancient capital. Rome was doomed. Except that this time it wasn't. There was one wise and noble man left in the city who now came to its aid. Pope Leo I, known as Leo the Great, had been given many powers by Valentinian, who was a useless emperor but a very good Christian. The Pope made up his mind that he, and only he, could save the city. Pope Leo left the safety of the Aurelian walls and marched out to the camp of Attila the Hun. Pope Leo entered the camp of Attila the Hun and then bravely asked to be let into the tent of Attila the Hun. Attila let him in. Nobody else was present at the meeting and nobody knows exactly what was said, but the two men spoke for a long time. Eventually Leo emerged from the tent and went back to the city. And the Huns? Did they charge? Did they sack Rome? Did they burn, smash and kill? No. The Huns turned round, retreated and marched back up the Italian peninsula and went home. So it seems that Pope Leo the Great scared the scariest of scary barbarians into leaving Italy. He told Attila the story of Alaric the Goth. He told how Alaric had sacked Rome and wound up dead as a doornail just a few weeks later. He told of an ancient curse that was put on the men who plundered the Eternal City. Attila was a superstitious man and would have been worried by what was said and this may be what made him turn round and go back to his empire. The story of the Pope and the Hun is a lovely tale. Whether it's true or not is lost in the mists of ancient history. It's just as likely it was a simple supply shortage that forced the Huns to return north. But this is nowhere near as romantic, and it's more fun to imagine the conversation between Pope Leo and Attila the Hun. As it turned out, the curse struck Attila anyway. Less than a year later, he took yet another wife and had a huge party to celebrate. He partied so hard that he fell down dead. His empire fell apart, and the Huns would never be a threat to the Empire of Rome again. Valentinian III was delighted. 
He'd reigned for 28 years and done two-thirds of nothing to rule his empire, but suddenly his greatest threat was gone. He decided it was time to rule by himself. His mother, Galla Placidia, had died, but his magister militant, Aetius, was still holding the real power. Just like Honorius with Stilicho, Valentinian decided that Aetius had to go. At this point in our story, it's time for us to realise that the end is in sight. It's time to start our countdown to the end of the Western Empire. Including Valentinian III, there are only ten emperors left to reign over the West. Some will do their best to save the empire, some will be puppets of barbarian soldiers, but once the ten have gone, there will be no more Western Roman Empire. So, let's begin the countdown. Ten emperors to go before the fall of Rome. Valentinian had found a friend in a senator called Flavius Petronius Maximus. Petronius agreed with the vain, useless emperor that Flavius Aetius had too much power and maybe would want the throne for himself. In September 454, Valentinian summoned Aetius to Ravenna for a meeting. Suddenly, during the talking, Valentinian drew his sword and hacked the Magister Militum to death. A stupid act by a stupid emperor. The last great defender of the empire sometimes known as the last Roman, was dead. His death set into motion the actions which would result in the end of the Western Empire. One of the key advisers to the emperor told him he had done a very stupid thing. Aetius was the most important person in the empire and the only person who held the empire together. Emperor, the advisor said, you have just cut off your right hand with your left. Soon after this, Valentinian tried to persuade a soldier by the name of Julius Valerius Majorianus to come out of retirement. Majorian agreed and became a leading figure in the events to follow. Petronius Maximus expected to be made patrician in place of Aetius, but was blocked by some of Valentinian's advisers. Seeking revenge, Maximus arranged with two Hun friends of Aetius, Optilla and Thraustilla, to assassinate the emperor. On March 16th, 455, Optilla stabbed the emperor in the side of the head as he dismounted in the Campus Martius and prepared for a session of archery practice. As the stunned emperor turned to see who had struck him, Optilla finished him off with another thrust of his blade. Most of the soldiers standing close by had been faithful followers of Aetius and not a single one lifted a hand to save the emperor. Valentinian III was as useless an emperor as it is possible to be, but, and it was a big but, he was part of the dynasty of Theodosius the Great. His death proved to be as big a disaster for the empire as that of the great emperor himself, as the dynasty was gone and with it went the last scrap of loyalty to the emperors of the West. Despite having been emperor for 29 years, Valentinian III was still only 38 when he was killed. So, nine emperors to go before the fall of Rome. Petronius Maximus quickly declared himself emperor he immediately married Valentinian's widow, Licinia Eudoxia. This was a bad move. Licinia took the same view as Honoria before her and chose the same way out. She immediately appealed to Gizeric, king of the Vandals. The Vandals took this as an invitation and quickly invaded Italy. They arrived outside the gates of Rome in May 455. Petronius Maximus didn't have the forces, the will or the hardness to fight. He fled and was killed, some say by a stone thrown by one of his own soldiers. He'd managed a massive 71 days on the throne. Eight emperors to go before the fall of Rome. The Vandals entered Rome and carried out the second great sack of the city. 
This time, the sack lasted two weeks, and the Vandals took away everything that the Visigoths had left behind 45 years earlier, and any treasures that had been brought to the city since. Again, Pope Leo the Great tried to save the city. He couldn't stop the sack, but he persuaded Gizeric not to kill too many people. The Vandals stuck to the bargain, but they stole virtually everything, and took Valentinian's wife and two daughters as hostages. Pulcheria, sister of Theodosius II, had followed her brother by dying in 453. The dynasty of Theodosius the Great was no more. Even the strong women had now all died. The beginning of 456 AD was an important time for the Roman Empire, although nobody would have known it at the time. The Western Empire had gone a long way past the point of no return and was on its way to falling. The Eastern Empire was about to lose its emperor, but, surprisingly, his successor would prove to be the start of a line of Eastern Roman emperors who would bring that half of the empire back to glory. If you want to leave me any feedback, or just ask questions, then you can contact me by email mythandhistory at gmail.com or go onto Facebook and friend me, Paul Vincent Myth and History. Please also go to the website www.mythandhistory.podbean.com There you will find links to a donation button and also to my crowdfunding. If you'd like to make any donations by either method, then that would be much appreciated. Also, this podcast is a member of the History Podcasters Network. Please go to www.historypodcasters.com where you'll find a directory of other great podcasts and also the History Collage Project. This is where a number of podcasters get together and produce historical shorts on a theme. They really are great fun and well worth a listen. So, anyway, have a great couple of weeks, and I'll speak to you next time.